With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. Go check Sports Drink out and the things that they are doing. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. I had a lot of things planned for this episode. Uh, some rants, some tangents I wanted to go on. I want to talk about Iowa State for a little while because we haven't done enough as far as their basketball team, men's and women's. Shout out to Coach Fennelly, uh, who lost his mother this week. Uh, very nice win for them at home without him over Oklahoma State on Wednesday night, women's side. Um, a lot of things I'd like to get to. I've talked about the fact that we don't have a schedule for the Big 12 yet. We'll see when that occurs. I would like to talk about uh, my issues with people continuing to call players who transfer soft. We'll save that one for later. But two things occurred. One, I had our good friend, Lockheed Stats guy John Wheeler, come on the show to do a way too early Big 12 power ranking for 2023. We did it in four tiers. I should have known when I got John on that John and I would go way over expectation so that took up a majority of the show. And then TCU decided to go out of their way and hire Kendall Bryles to be the new offensive coordinator. So we had to touch on that as well. So Melissa Trebowasser of Frogs Today is going to join us here in just a minute. And then we'll have John Wheeler, our good friend, to do a way too early Big 12 power ranking tiering one, two, three, four. So this intro is going to be short and sweet so that we can get to the things that matter. Now, I said I want to do a weekly power rankings for Big 12 men's hoops. So let's knock that out here real quick. <laughs> it's a lot of rankings in this episode. Uh, a few changes to last week. Number one, now Kansas atop the rankings as they should be. Look, they knocked off Iowa State before suffering their first loss of the season by one point on the road in a rivalry game that was, at this point, the best game of the Big 12 season and going to be one that is hard to top. Like I'm not going to dock Kansas for that loss, and not, especially not when Jalen Wilson... I think it's overtaken everybody else for Big 12 Player of the Year. Might be a time for another debate next week. We'll see if we can get some guests lined up. I got Kansas at one. Iowa State at two. Look, I know Kansas State beat Kansas. It's a huge win. Iowa State lost to Kansas. I just still feel like these are two teams we're going to be swapping back and forth. I think these are three teams in Kansas, Kansas State and Iowa State. We're going to be rotating around a lot atop our power rankings. Texas at number four is a good team. It's not a great team. They're not out of the race, but I need to see a little bit more from them before I bump them out of four. Five is TCU. Uh, the Horn Frogs have still never won in Morgantown since they joined the Big 12. West Virginia getting their first conference win on Wednesday night over a TCU squad that, look, you're, you're great one day, blowing out Kansas State. The next day you're on the road losing to West Virginia. 
This is the Big 12. It just is what it is. Number six is Baylor. Good squad, not a great one. The bottom four feel like there's a good amount of separation between them and the top six. At number seven is Oklahoma. Yeah, I know they just lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, fantastic stat here for them. The Oklahoma continues to be unable to close out games. They had a six-point halftime lead against Oklahoma. Big 12 teams are outscoring Oklahoma 69-46 to in the last five minutes of regulation. I will note Oklahoma would have gone the last five-plus minutes scoreless against Oklahoma State in Bedlam if not for a meaningless dunk with one second left on the clock. None of OU's Big 12 games have been decided by more than five points until Bedlam. They lost by double digits. Look, I do think this is a good Oklahoma, a fine Oklahoma team. I'll keep them at seven. Oklahoma State up to eight now. Oklahoma State has held 16 of its 18 opponents under their season scoring average. Unfortunately, they failed to score at least 70 points in, what is that, 11 of their 18 games? And they're three and eight in those games. They got more than 70 against Oklahoma. If they can score 70, they can win. If they don't, eh, not so good. Oklahoma State in men's basketball is 2022 Iowa State in football. Fantastic defense. Offenses, not great. Uh, West Virginia, congratulations on getting your first win. I'm going to bump you up to nine over Texas Tech, who is still winless in conference play because you got one. Congrats to West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is a bad team. I just think they're one of the two worst teams in the really good Big 12. And I think Texas Tech's going to rise up this rankings. I do. Very important addition to that roster. So let me know what you think about our Big 12 men's power rankings. You can uh, tweet at us at 1012network, 1012podcast at gmail.com, 1012pod on Twitter. I'm sorry, on uh, Instagram. Let us know. Let us know. You know what I think I want to know from all of you is what's your favorite home field shirt? Homefield Apparel, of course, the longest-running sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast and the 1012 Network as well. They're going to do a lot of refreshes this year. Now, nothing for Big 12 just yet, but I'd be shocked if we didn't see a few Big 12 refreshes coming throughout 2023. So what you want to know is you just want to remember Network 12. Repeat that to yourself. Network 12. Network 12. N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2. Because that gets you 15% off your first order at Homeville Apparel, if you haven't bought anything yet, it's a good code. It's a good discount on some great stuff. Some absolutely fantastic stuff. Homeville Apparel continues to be the best, most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will get anywhere. That's just, that's so good. So comfortable. I'm rocking Homefield right now. I am. I'm wearing my Pistol Patty shirt. It's one of my favorite shirts. I'm starting to wear it out a little bit. I'm going to have to get a new one. And, and when you say, well, I, does that mean they wear out? No, it just means I wear that shirt a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. All right. Network 12, 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel for men's and women's basketball season. And soon to be baseball and softball season. We're going to do a lot of softball preview over the next couple of weeks. That's my goal. We're going to do a lot of softball. We'll do some baseball. I just We're going to do a lot of softball. We're going to get a lot of UCF to talk about. We need to talk Houston men's basketball. I'm going to write that down for next week. We're going to get something on the docket. All right. Melissa Drebwasser, Frogs Today. We're going to talk about TCU hiring. Kendall Bryles. Lockheed Stats guy John Wheeler joins the show. We're going to do our way-too-early power rankings for Big 12 football in 2023, tiering them one, two, three, and four. Two fantastic guests, one fun interview, one that just has to be done. Let's get to it. 
I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott Holm Podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar sports podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dork. So thank you and go Cougs. I waited to have this conversation until something was official, and while it's technically not been announced by the school, it feels pretty official official with all the reports that are coming in. TCU uh, will be, or is expected to, let's be fair here, as of the time of recording, it's not official, like I said, is expected to hire current Arkansas offensive coordinator, former Baylor offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, to become the new offensive coordinator in Fort Worth. Uh, of all the schools you possibly could have named who I thought a Bryles might end up at, one in the state of Texas uh, with the letters TCU definitely would have been at the bottom of the list, and yet here we are. So it is something that we have to discuss. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always excited to have her on the show, though I wish it for, were for better reasons and a better topic to discuss about, but very good friend of the pod, Melissa Trebowasser of Frogs today joining us. Melissa, welcome back. It's, you know, I'd say it's normally it's great to be here, but these are more auspicious conversations. Um, I, I will tell you that don't expect TCU to announce this. Um, this is official. That contract has been signed. Um, like Kendall Browse is the offensive coordinator at TCU. Um, I don't, there will not be a press conference and I doubt there will be any type of publication from the university. This will just be a thing that happens, which to me just further is a further problem emblematic of this whole situation. If you have to handle a, a, the hiring of a coach, of of a coordinator, which is something you should be excited about, talking about, allowing the media to talk to, to get thrilled about, um, if you're basically trying to sweep that under the rug or do it as quietly as, as possibly can, that's usually a, an indication that this is a move you probably shouldn't have made in the first place. I... Look, it's really interesting as I sit here and think. Um, I've thought a lot this season. You know, Sonny Dykes is somebody who, when he got hired at TCU, made himself readily available to talk with the media anytime they wanted, opened the doors, the floodgates to TCU to let everyone in and give as much access to a program that had been a Fort Knox, as it were, for years under Gary Patterson. To make this move makes me kind of wonder... If, uh, I mean, look, as a, as a Big 12 podcast, I was like, well, sweet. I, we're going to try and get him on this summer. We have a conversation. I have a feeling we're going to have a little less access uh, to Sonny Dykes and TCU given this hire moving forward, which again goes to if this is how you're going to treat something like this, this tells me all I need to know about it. Well, I, I guess that's my thing. Um, when it was being rumored that Kaz Kazadi was coming on, um, who I mean, I guess you could argue was named more complicitly in some of the things that we actually got access to after uh, the Baylor uh, stuff went down. And, you know, I was vehemently against it. I requested to speak to Kazadi. I 
requested to speak to Dykes about Kazadi. Um, and there was, I mean, that wasn't even answered. It was ignored. Um, and as the season went on and you start to hear the players say all the great things and you start to see the difference on the field and the winning happens. I mean, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll readily admit that I wrote an absolutely glowing piece about Kaz Kazadi before the national championship about what he's done physically and mentally for this team. And as I sit here today, you know, with, with Kendall Bryles and, and all of the, the vociferous, you know, angst on social media and other places um, by members of this fan base. I, I feel bad about that. Now I'm not saying that what Kaz Kazadi did um, at TC wasn't incredible. I mean, he legitimately changed that program physically and mentally, and you can't talk to a TCU player without hearing them say something great about him. Um, and, and so I, I do believe that he has been a positive influence on that campus. That doesn't change how I felt initially and writing about him positively doesn't change how I feel now. Um, but this is still different. Um, this is the Bryles name and fair or unfair uh, at TCU giving Kendall Bryles, everyone keeps saying, oh, second chances and forgiveness. And I'm not saying I don't believe in those things, but let's let's get it straight here. First of all, this isn't a second chance. This is like the fifth stop for Kendall Bryles since he left Baylor, fourth or fifth stop, right? So he's had plenty of second chances. Also, second chances aren't giving What's, I mean, he's making $1.25 million, I think is what he just got a raise to at Arkansas. So we're going to assume he's getting paid more than that to come to TC. We won't know for years, but we're assuming. Second chances aren't $1.3 million jobs. And second chances for Kendall Bryles happening at TCU, just it's it's almost unfathomable to think about. And like you said, I mean, doing this in the dark is part of the problem here. If If you really are concerned about the way this is being received not just by TCU fans but by media that cover TCU and and national media then get out in front of it if you believe in in the policies that you put in place if you believe in in what you're doing since post Baylor at TCU to ensure that this type of culture doesn't exist on your campus then get out in front and tell and, and this is I was talking to some people tonight about this is what this is what's so upsetting to me sit there and tell me hey guys we are making this higher. We understand some of you have concerns. Here are the things that are in place. Here's our Title IX officers. They'd like to speak to you about it. Here's what we've done to establish a culture around this campus to ensure that this type of thing never happens at our school. And hey, we're going to talk to not just Kendall Bryles and let you hear from him. And he's going to address all of the things that he's done since that show maybe any level of remorse. But also, I don't know, just a thought. Here's a woman's voice on this too. Because I haven't heard any of those at any stop along the way come out and support. And, and and again, maybe that's just me being a woman or as the message boards, you know, are saying maybe we're being crybabies and, you know, virtue signaling and pearl clutching. But if you're not going to talk about it, then why are you doing it? And like you said, Dykes established an open door and an open mic policy. And we talked to Garrett Riley anytime we wanted to. Are they going to do that for Kendall Bryles? That's going to be what I think is going to be really telling about this program. If things change and you keep it under wraps, then then what are you like? That to me makes makes all of my worst fears come true. I won't begin to pretend that I am the most devoutly religious person that I have a leg to stand on when it comes to the topic of grace or forgiveness. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in second chances, but I think we have a problem of misconstruing what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, 
No one's saying that he must go homeless and broke and loveless for the rest of his life living on the street. It's not what we're implying here. Um, but if you are in a position, and the thing that you do in that position jeopardizes the lives, let's be honest here, the lives, I don't care if no one died, those lives were ruined, of other people win your job, you don't get to be in that job anymore. You are not allowed to do that job. If you're a teacher and you do something awful to the children, you don't get to be a teacher. This is a teacher. This is an educator. A football coach is what his role is. And he was part of an organization that chose to look the other way and essentially cover up some awful and heinous activities that were going on at their program in the benefit of winning football games. It was we can we can talk all day about it was at the started at the top and came all the way down. The number of people responsible doesn't reduce that you were also responsible. That doesn't take some of the some of the responsibility off of your shoulders. The position you were in, that was your job. You don't get to have that job anymore. Sorry. I, I'm not okay with that. And if you want to say that he should be allowed to, I don't want it on my campus. And when you have a fan base that you have tried to rally and, and bring together to hear the vocal outcry for those who are in support of it or fine with it or whatever, great, cool, awesome. There are always those in every crowd who are cool with whatever as long as it benefits them or whatever they want to say. Or they don't remember the story because they're too young. Or they didn't care that much at the time. Whatever. But when a vocal part of your fan base is out crying and saying, we don't want this at our school. We don't want this on the team that we root for because now we have to come out and either be, we're not going to go to, we're, we're just not going to go root for the team or I have to go root for this while I know this is going on, which is a very, very difficult situation to put fans in and an unfair situation to put fans in. Like I just, that's, that is not okay. And, and, and you as someone who is a big thing I've come upon is as a head coach, you are a steward of a program. You have been gifted the responsibility and paid very well for it to be in charge of something and to take care of it and leave it better than you found it. This is not doing that. This is not being a good steward of that program. This is doing something for you or someone who you think needs your help, which Kendall Browns don't need anybody's help. Sorry, we've seen that. I just don't, I don't understand this move. And We've seen enough times in college football, in college athletics, in pretty much everything at a high enough level, we're never going to get satisfactory answers as to why they believe this was the move that must be made for this program. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of the thing. Um, you know, we'll probably never know the full story of what happened at Baylor. They're going to keep those records sealed. And, and you know, you you uh, retweeted a, a section from Mac Engel from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, his, his article. Um, and he was one of the people who broke that story. He knows what happened more than anybody. And he came out in support of, I would hire Kendall Bryles. I would hire Art Bryles. Um, I have a lot of respect for Mac. I, I don't agree with him here, but also I don't claim to know what he knows. Um but I'll also say, like, having been a head coach at a college basketball program, a small college basketball program with very limited resources and a very small staff, I knew what my players ate for breakfast every morning. I knew how much time they spent in class. I generally knew what they were doing on the weekends, whether I wanted to or not. Um, those programs know what's going on and those coaches know what's going on. And so... If if the biggest sin was looking the other way, that still to me is is a pretty significant sin. Um, and and of course we know 
you know, the Kendall Bryles money quote of, you know, do you like white women? We've got a lot of them at Baylor and they love football players. And, and I'm not going to sit here and try to say that TCU hasn't used sex to sell football. I'm sure that they have. And every university on the planet has used sex to sell football. And so it's not that TCU is so innocent that we can't dare bring this in. It's, it's again, that why does it have to be TCU? You are coming off of a season where you went 13 and two, you played for a big 12 championship. You won a playoff game for the first time in your school's history. You made a national championship. You lost your offensive coordinator shortly thereafter to Clemson. And the best that you, the the move that you think you're going to make is to go poach a middle of the pack SEC offensive coordinator that runs an offense that, that is what you run and what you like, but has had varying degrees of success and, and on his own has not exactly lit the world. on. If you look at the raw numbers, you know, Arkansas compiled a lot of yards, but they weren't great passing the ball. They were a great rushing team, but they had a quarterback who was built to be a rushing team. TCU's starting quarterback right now looks like a guy who is 5'9 and weighs about 170 pounds. So probably not KJ Jefferson style attack coming here. Um, and then when you when you put all that, even if you say, hey, this is a pretty good offensive coordinator that runs a system that's a really, really good fit alongside Sonny Dykes and a guy that Sonny Dykes has literally known pretty much since birth. Even if you take all of those things into account and then you think about the fact, oh, we are hiring the son of the biggest enemy of TCU in history to be our offensive coordinator coming off of all of those great things. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, you're telling me that this program with the talent that they have, with the way that they're recruiting and with Sonny Dyke's track record for giving offensive coordinators opportunities to be head coaches or to move up to bigger programs is the best that you can do is a middle-of-the-pack SEC quarterback who, by the way, did not score any more points against Georgia than your team did in the national championship. It just doesn't it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, the, the term that's been going around is the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And I said, like, I, I think I made the argument today that if this were, um, you know, if you're hiring, um, uh, oh, gosh, now I just made, the, and I, I, I guess I'm blocking his name out of my mind, um, the offensive coordinator for Georgia, um, just dumb. Uh, Todd Monken. Uh, Monken. Yeah. If you're hiring. Yeah. If you're, if you're bringing in Todd Monken for this and you're kind of like, oh, well, okay. I mean, he's like really, really good. Well, maybe I'll look the other way or maybe, oh, you know, he, he has, because like, don't get me wrong. Brent Bryles has done absolutely nothing of note, like in a negative way since he left Baylor, as far as we know. Right. And it seems like he has been a quote unquote model citizen since he left at his other stops. And that's what everyone wants to throw. Oh, he's been vetted at all these other places. Listen, I don't for a second trust the vetting process of any athletics department. Um, they're making nope. a business decision, so they're not going to do anything abhorrently stupid. Well, I say that, but look what T T uh, Texas A&M just brought in an offensive coordinator. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they think that the fan base will buy in if they win. And frankly, like, yeah, they probably will, at least the ones that matter. And the money's behind this. The administration's behind this. The entire coaching staff at TCU is behind this. I mean, these conversations were had up and down the line, and everybody was in agreement with it. And so, I mean, that to me just kind of tells me that at the end of the day, like it's not going to matter what a small minority of the TCU fan base says, no matter how loud they are, it's going to matter how TCU performs. And if the offense is good next year, most of the people are going to be fine. And if the offense is bad next year, then they're going to be calling for his head. And and I mean, if you think, think about what he's inheriting, you quarterback, you lost your best running back. You lost your second best running back. You're losing your best wide receiver. You're losing your two most important wide receivers outside of your most talented wide receiver. You're losing the entirety of the interior of your offensive line. 
this is not and and you have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster neither one of whom has played a full season one of whom has not taken a single snap in a collegiate game so this is not a walk in the park for Kendall Bryles to enter into it's going to be a challenge and this fan base will very quickly turn on him if TCU is six and six and averaging 27 points a game I I mean that and that's a that's a a realistic possibility for them next year this is going to be the down year I mean there's going to be some rebuilding here and on top of all of that on top of all of that you are going to face the ire of every additional fan base and all of the Baylor fans who the same people that are so happy to have Kendall Bryles were the same ones jumping down Baylor's throat when all of this went down they're going to have a lot to say and I mean how do you defend yourself against it you got nothing to say you got nothing to say if your TCU and the Baylor the Baylor mob comes after you and they have a right to Football programs are like police departments. Uh, it is a boys' club. Sorry, like everyone hates every. every I, have you ever every have you ever seen a cop show where the internal affairs wasn't the bad guy? Right. Yeah. Like, can it, we just can we just address that? Literally, that's kind of football departments. We've vetted. The, no, you didn't. It is a I, boys' club that protects their own. Let's well, just call these what they are. And, and I mean, the, the thing to be is that, you know, they could get away with this because of TCU season this year. And yes. it, it's, it, I keep what I keep. That's how, people, but that's where, how is that the goodwill and the grace that you let's talk about grace, the goodwill you have built up off this season. That's where you invest. I just won the lottery. There's a Nigerian prince crypto. who just emailed me who, Oh, yeah. I'm going to, Oh my God. That is the best comp. Um, that's bravo, bravo. Uh, to your to yeah. your other point, like, look, all right, let's set all the morals and virtue signaling and everything aside, okay? Look, I love college football. I understand it's dirty, it's rotten, it's nasty to its core, it's whatever, okay? There's lots of good things about it. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful sport. It's fantastic. I love college football. But let's talk about this. Um, this is a team this past season that averaged 234.7 passing yards per game, which ranked 63rd in the FBS. That's not great. He hasn't had a top 10 offense nationally, as far as I could tell. And even if he did, it might have been an FAU, which isn't exactly against a lot of competition. Oh, by the way, Lane Kiffin was the head coach. So Lane yeah. Kiffin was the guy running that offense. Two, hey, you know what's probably not the best situation to walk into is a team coming off of the Big 12 championship game. Listen, I, I texted you this, and I'll, I have this on another part in this episode, but we're going to read it again here. 2017 TCU. Now, I did not include OU teams because it's an exception to the rule because every time they made it, they're always good. La, 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 la. 2017 TCU, 11-3. 11-3. The next year, 2018, 7-6. 2018 Texas, the other team that made the Big 12 title game, 10-4. The following year, 8-5. 2019 Baylor, 11-3. Following year, 2020, 0-9. 2020 Iowa State, 9-3. Big 12 title game, 7-6. The following year, 12-2 Oklahoma State, 12-2 Baylor in 2021. OSU seven and six, Baylor six and seven this past season. I understand that it's hard to use history nowadays with the transfer portal. It's the great equalizer in a way that we haven't figured out how to adjust historical data to. But guess what? History says if you made the Big Twelve title game and you're not Oklahoma, the follow up season's not going to be awesome again. And with everything TCU has lost, as you mentioned, Kendall Bryle stay in Fort Worth. Let's put it this way: Sunny Dykes built up a lot of good favor. And fans love Sunny Dykes, and you should for the season that you just had. You just staked your TCU coaching career on Kendall Bryles. That's my yeah. opinion. Because if this goes south yeah. quick, 
or anything, anything remotely happens, you just stakes your career on Kendall Bryles. I don't understand it. It's a big risk. And this is also, Kendall Bryles also is not really one for loyalty. I mean, he's had several stops. He was flirting with Mississippi State. You know, he he's looked, he's flirted every year with another program to get a raise. Good for him. Get your money, buddy, I guess. But like, it's not like he's coming here to be coach and waiting or to be a long-term. He's coming here until he gets a better job. And especially if TCU struggles um, on, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and mind you too, they're going to struggle on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at the pieces that they're, they're losing there, I think they're better off than they are on offense because they return more, but you're losing the Thorpe Ward winner. You're losing a four-year starter at linebacker. You're losing the only defensive end that could cause any type of real pass rush. I mean, this is going to be a young team. You're putting a lot of hope in a dead cat bounce here after um, not, not a season that was expected, but a season that where, a little bit of magic combined with the top of your development cycle, combined with the top of your aging cycle, com- combined with a bunch of COVID fifth year seniors and six year seniors um, that everything was a perfect storm to take advantage of. And to Sonny Dyke's credit, I'm not taking away from him. He took great advantage of, but for all of the people that are out there on the message boards, trying to convince themselves that this is actually an upgrade over Garrett Riley because of what happened in, in a couple <laughs> of games, like, I mean, that's a real thing that there are really people that honestly believe that the Broyles award winner leaving was a good thing. So you could bring in the guy who runs a, a, a a slightly above average version of what Sonny Dykes does. Um, and is going to, you're going to expect him to do it developmentally with a bunch of young kids. And so from a football perspective, it's a, it's a fine move. Like it's not, he's not bad. He's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of his success is there's been other factors that have contributed to that. And then you're asking him because Sonny Dykes is not shadow running this offense. Sonny Dykes is a CEO head coach. This will be Kendall Bryles offense with some Sonny Dykes pushing and prodding of saying, Hey, I want to make sure that we run the ball. I want to make sure we do this and that. Um, but this is Kendall's show, and um, I have a lot of faith in, in the rest of the coaching staff. I think Malcolm Kelly is great. I think that Parker um, is outstanding. Uh, I mean, there's, that's, this offensive side of the ball is really strong. Um, Aaron Jones, I mean, they, they made some really good decisions. And so um, there's a lot of support here. But the, but the problem is, is this doesn't go well. You could see a lot of turnover in that staff, too. And so, uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's, you, you gave him a taste, man. Like Sonny gave us all a taste of the good stuff. And the first one's free. And and then you start to be willing to pay absolutely anything to get the next one. And I think that's where TCU is at, is that you went from, you know, at, at like 514 Pacific on Monday night, a little over a week ago, feeling the best you've ever felt as a TCU fan to everything going to hell after and you lose in the most lopsided score in postseason history and then you lose your offensive coordinator for a lateral move but a lateral move we understand in a lot of money to Clemson money that TC could have matched and chose not to for whatever reason um you lose your the the best pieces of your offense um and you lose out on a couple of transfer portal quarterbacks and then you bring in a Bryles and so at this point with everything else that had happened people were very willing to convince themselves that this was a really really good move um from a football perspective you know there's a lot of people saying morality aside I love this is a football move or I trust Sonny we should all trust Sonny you should not implicitly trust any one person, no matter what, especially after one year. Like I, I think Sonny Dykes is a great football coach and, and I've really grown to appreciate him as a person, but this move certainly makes me wonder about some things um, it, it, at the very least about the understanding of the temperature of the room in Fort Worth and 
being able to kind of see the forest for the trees. Um, I understand all of his reasons. I get it. Um, I just think that this is, like you said, a very, very big risk, one that he maybe doesn't understand the gravity of. And, and his future at TCU is going to be tied to what happens. And I would imagine Bryles is not here in longer than two to three years, period. But this could be a really bad two years. It could be a really good two years. Um, but there's definitely going to be a step backwards before there's a big step forward for the Horn Frogs. Uh, Garrett Rowley is being paid $1.75 million annually at Clemson. Uh, Kendall Daniels was set to have an automatic salary increase to $1.25 million on January 23rd, but Arkansas was restructuring his deal after he flirted with Mississippi State to get a con- uh, pay raise. So, I mean, I guess you get a slight, probably get a slight discount from the 1.75. I sure hope so. You're not paying the same amount. Anyways, um, I'm sure we've irritated some people by now. That's fine. I don't really care. Yeah, I, I've, I've just like I've, and I'll be honest, like I've, I've kind of kept my mouth shut on social because I am soft and um, I am, I, I'm not strong in those situations, and I just didn't feel like <laughs> getting attached. Um, and I, I like even reading the message boards uh, makes me really sad because it's just like the the people taking glee. And how upset a sector of the TCU fan base is, is really upsetting to me. Like, if you can't think about why people would be like, take what you know and what you think, you know, and what you don't know and put those things aside. If you can't, as a baseline human, understand that there would be people that would be upset by this instead of just throwing, well, cause is here. Well, buckles is here. Well, he didn't do anything. Well, he's not his dad. Well, it's not his fault. This is his last name. Doesn't he deserve a second chance? And all of these things, or, or just gleefully posting people who are upset at this, like, like, you're just a garbage person, man. Like, you can 100% say, hey, from a football perspective, I like this. Based on what we know and what we don't know, I think that that he's had plenty of opportunity to prove himself the kind of person he is, and he hasn't stepped in it since. And so I'm willing to give him a second chance. But I can also understand why people would be upset. No, that's not what's happening. What's happening is people are going, ha-ha, you pearl-clutching, virtue-signaling, soft cry baby whatever you don't know what you're talking about your opinion isn't valid the only thing that matters is me i just want to win above all else give me more of the good stuff man give me that good crack i just want to win and that like that to me like you said everything that's been built up that's so positive um this is a big risk to take and and the i'm so disappointed in the behavior of the fan base that can't just for a second take a step back and say you can be a good tcu fan and you can think that sunny dykes is doing a really good job and still have a problem with this hire um, but that's not what's happening. It's there's it's it's like everything else in this country. There's zero room for nuance. There's zero room for conversation. It's I'm right and you're wrong. And if you think that I'm being mean because I think that I'm right, then you're a baby and you should just go and not not be a TCU fan, turn in your tickets. You aren't a real one, which is stupid. Just freaking stupid, man. Empathy is a lot harder than people realize. Leave it yeah. it's not it's actually not it's actually really easy it's just some people find it difficult well it's, um, it's easy it's easy if you have the desire to do it and i think a lot of people don't want to have to give of themselves to understand somebody else so i think that that's that's really the issue here and um especially like listen like i i don't want to again i don't want to distill it down to this but when you read that the message boards and you read social media it's a lot of men talking at a lot of women and telling them how to feel um, and uh, everybody knows somebody who has been victimized by sexual assault, period. Whether you know you know them or not, everybody knows somebody. And so at the very least, take a second before you say what a great hire this is and say, I can understand the concerns. I can understand the concerns, especially from a woman's perspective. 
I just, I, I can support this higher while still understanding why you don't like that. That should be the response from the fan base right now. Um, and, and if it's not, that's being very dismissive of a lot of pain for a lot of people. Um, and, and I guess that to me is the most upsetting part of this is, is I wish that, and, and I wish this from TCU too, just a level of transparency, just a level of understanding, just a level of, Hey, we get it. This might be hard for some of you guys. Here's why we think it was worth making some of you upset. Here's why we think it was worth putting all of our, our taking a big risk. And this is how we know that we're going to make sure the culture is different here, but I don't think we're going to get that conversation. And that, that to me is probably the most frustrating or disappointing part. Melissa, always appreciate the time from you. Uh, I promise next time we have you on, it will be for something much more exciting, uh, fun to talk about, yeah, a little less heavy. Let's talk like TCU basketball or uh, baseball's coming up. There'll be so many good things. I, you know, I'm not turning in my TCU fan guard, card by any stretch of the imagination or my TCU media card. I'm just, um, just going to sit with this one for a while and, and get excited about the rest of the the programs. It's still support you know, the players and, and the, the, the people that, that I know are doing, are doing their due diligence here and, and trying to make sure that this is a good thing. Everybody do yourself a favor, especially if you're a TCU fan frogs today. Look, we don't have a TCU podcast anymore. <clears throat> you keep, I feel really uh, guilty. You keep bringing that up. I feel bad. <sighs> you it's know, my one little nudge. Out, it's a, yeah. If I keep, I do it to Colin you know, too. Uh, so don't feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I keep speaking out about this, <laughs> I may be open for employment again. <laughs> somewhere down the line well you always have a home at uh the 1012 network anytime you want it Melissa. so appreciate your time and uh we'll talk to you again soon all right thanks so brand new for the 2022 season it's the rvk we're coming at you two ways on two days it's monday and thursday jeremy jn fiend phoenix and me Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. I said I would do it on Twitter at 1012 Network, and I stood by it. I just wanted to feel most confident before I came in here and rolled out a way too early Big 12 power ranking for 2023 season. Now, look, I'm going to be blunt with you. Uh, we are not doing a 1 through 14 because you'd have to be an absolute nut job to try and rank the Big 12 1 through 14 heading into 2023 any time before, like, July. And honestly, when we have to vote for the Big 12 media poll, I'm going to have a hard time doing it because how do you handle a conference with four new team members coming in, two teams who are very possibly in their final season, and we don't have a schedule yet. We have no idea. So it's not a round robin like it used to be. It's 14-team conference with so much unfamiliarity and not to mention roster turnover. I mean, I don't know who's left on Oklahoma State's roster. That's a bunch of transfers from D2, D3, uh, FBS, FC, I don't know. It's way too hard. And this is, without a doubt, the most volatile conference from a standing standpoint, year in and year out. We talk about this every year now. Ever since the Big 12 title game came back, a new team has reached it for the first time. That streak continued this past season with Kansas State. Hoping that streak continues this coming year. That's something we might talk about here in a minute. But we are not doing a 1 through 14 because I'm not 
I'm not, I'm just not gonna. So we're going to do a four tier system. We have tiered the teams up. I say we, it is myself and our good friend, the Lockheed stats guy, John Wheeler joining us back on the show. John, welcome, man. I'm excited to be here again. You know, it never too early to demean your rivals fan base by telling them they're not going to perform like you think they are, or to talk trash about all of the other big 12 schools and how your school is going to win the title. I'm telling you right now, Baylor will win the big 12 next year. I'm just kidding. No. So, so I'm excited to be here. We're going to talk about uh, some tiers. We're going to talk overperformers, underperformers, potentially, you know, who we see versus what like the national people who do this type of stuff think is going to happen. Um, I've got some cool data uh, handy. I'm excited to hear what Philip thinks. This is going to be some fun. Look, way too early power rankings are clickbaity as hell, but we're going to do it. It's fast food salad. It's not good. There's no nutritional value, but people are here for your clicks. All the same. We are here for you because we know what you want to listen to, even if it's just earworm nonsense. Okay. Please don't take any of this seriously. We will adjust this. I mean, probably 10 times between now and the start of the season. Okay. So there's no conference schedule yet. It didn't come out on Tuesday. It should come out sometime soon. It'll be between now and mid-February. I think the last update we saw was end of January. So we'll see. We're going to do it anyways. All right, uh, John, let's start off. We're going to do this in four tiers. We've got all four teams divided out. Yourself and I, we can debate and discuss. Uh, let's start with tier one. I have, after back and forth and a lot of discussion, I have three teams in my tier one. Uh, I don't think these are going to be too shocking. Well, let's talk about anybody. what tier one is. Yeah, let's just let's define What is tiers. tier one, Philip? So tier one are teams that we believe heading into the year are the most likely teams to be contending for the Big 12 title. These are the teams we feel, as of today, if we had to predict who would be in Arlington, these are the teams we feel most confident in potentially doing that. Okay, uh, Tier 2 are teams that we believe, if certain things break right, uh, maybe the schedule is in their favor, we find out that they have taken a, a jump at one side of the ball, or one position group in particular, could contend for the Big 12 title. Tier 3 are teams with some major, major question marks. Now, that doesn't mean that these teams won't contend. If you go back and look at the Big 12 preseason rankings pretty much every year since the title game came back, the teams picked two and three don't make it. It's those teams picked four, five, six, or in this past couple of years, seven, TCU in 2022, Baylor, or eight, Baylor in 2021. Teams from all over the rankings can make it. But tier three are teams that have big question marks to us. And tier four are teams that I just don't, like, if a, if you can make a bowl game, congratulations. Uh, I think it might be a rough season for you and your fan base. Does that sound about right, John? Yeah, you could almost think of it as... Tier one, a successful season as you played for the conference title. Tier two, successful season is you made the Alamo Bowl, or you, you were a nine-win team, ten-win team. Um, tier three, you contended in tier two for the conference title late, deep into the season. You had meaningful games hoping to win the conference. Tier three, maybe you're a successful season is eight and four, a good bowl game, go win the bowl game. Tier four is making the bowl game, probably. Um, you would say that's a successful season, given where expectations are likely going into the season. That's an easy way to think about it. I like that. I think that's what good. would make you happy at the end of the season or what should make you happy. 
<laughs> at the end of the season. Ne- never tell a fan base what they should be happy with, um, because what you and I might think is not the same as them. For instance, what we may think about West Virginia heading into 2023 is not the same as what West Virginia fans will be happy with in 2023, though our expectation might get them the thing that they would probably be most happy with as a fan base at this point. So let's start with the, uh, you know what? Let's go in reverse order. We, everyone always goes one through four and, you know, get to buy the four year. Everyone knows let's, let's do it this way. Let's start in tier four, John, who do you have in your tier four that you think is just out of the running of just you're building towards something in a couple of years, but it ain't going to be 23. I am going to go with two of 2021's best, highest potential newcomers to the Big 12. And I'm going to go with two teams from the existing Big 12 that I have the least confidence in to make up my four-team Tier 4. And so I'll start with Cincinnati. Cincinnati has change, and anytime there is change, when you are trying to produce project what might happen in the future uncertainty you know i'm in a i'm in a data forecasting business in the real world and uncertainty is undesirable and it makes it hard to have confidence that anything good is going to happen when you have large uncertainty and with cincinnati and the coaching change lou fickle going to wisconsin there is tremendous uncertainty about how they will respond to coaching change and conference change all happening at once. And so for me, Cincinnati is a team that they have potential, but there's so much uncertainty, it's hard for me to grade them according to that potential. And two years ago, I would have given a very different response for Cincinnati because they were coming off of a playoff appearance. They had all sorts of momentum. Last year was not even a bad year. They were, what, nine and three going to bulk season. They contended for the AAC and just got nipped out um, with a couple weeks ago in the regular season. You know, they, they were a good team last year and they pushed some other good teams uh, and beat some other good teams. But, but this year, the uncertainty mixed with the Big 12, I think if they get a good schedule, they're not a bottom tier team for me uh but i'm afraid that they're not gonna when the schedule comes out some of the newcomers are not going to get a lot of the other newcomers on the schedule uh, like the aac teams i predict will not be playing a round robin amongst them coming back into the big 12 when the schedule comes out and so i think cincinnati is going to end up with a lot of the heavy hitters in conference on schedule my prediction and they're going to struggle this year uh because of the change i've got houston as the other team you know, they played Cincinnati in 2021 for the AAC title. Um, I think they had one loss at the time. They were a really strong campaign. And last year they regressed substantially. And so I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to carry what was momentum from 2021 after a down 22 year, which again, was not a bad year in AAC play, but it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that they're going to come into the Big 12 and be successful immediately. They may be a couple of years out. And then I've got Iowa State and West Virginia rounding out my bottom tier. Um, West Virginia, possible coaching change. At some point, there's a lot, you know, substantial hot seat, new AD uh, coming into town. You've got uncertainty at quarterback. Um you're not sure if you're going to have strong quarterback play for the season. Uh, the defense has question marks. And so uh, they, they're they a bottom tier team for me, just again, because of the uncertainty, the unknown. Iowa State, uh, 
they looked like a team three and four years ago. The last, you know, there's like a three year run where Iowa State was building and building and building to something. They had 2020, uh, the COVID shortened year where they were a top 10 team in the country. And then it seemed like they took a step back. And then last year they took another step back. Um, and so it's hard for me to see that momentum that they had when Brock Purdy was at quarterback, when they had uh, Brees Hall at running back, they had some really strong position players. They're struggling with that on offense and you can see that on the field. So unless they're position players and their quarterback, uh, if they get some maturity at those positions, maybe that's, you know, an incorrect tier ranking. Um, but, you know, given the momentum of the last couple of years, it's hard for me to put them higher than, tier four for me. So those are my bottom four teams. Uh, given the depth of the big 12, it's possible any one of those four could play their way out of tier four comfortably and make me look uh, silly by the end of the season. But, you know, I just don't have a lot of confidence given the uncertainty around each of those four. So I've, I'm going to respond to the ones that you have listed, and then I will round out the rest of my top, my tier four, because I don't have the exact same tier four as you do. I, I too have Cincinnati in the tier four. I don't like, I don't like the Scott Satterfield hire for, for Cincinnati. I, I'm not, I, that's nothing he did at Louisville that makes me say, yeah, he's going to show up and be able to help Cincinnati in a, in another power five conference. And I, I think the big 12 is more volatile and more difficult than the ACC is. Yes. I understand Clemson and Florida state are in the ACC. Great. Awesome. The bottom of the ACC is way worse than the bottom of the big 12. I don't feel good about that hire. Um, you got Iowa State's offensive coordinator who every – that that's very much a like no one at Iowa State was sad to see him go, so have fun with that one. Well, he's going to help us because he knows the Big 12. Cool. Uh, I With what they have lost at Cincinnati, Luke Fickle specifically, the guys that have transferred, the guys that have declared for the draft, I this is a team that had Luke Fickle stayed, I would have had in Tier 1 heading into the season as a team that I think it could show up and immediately – I think I would agree with that. As a, That's, they would be a tier one immediate contender, maybe fringe tier two if we said you sure. know, requires favorable schedule to be a mm-hmm. serious contender. They'd be there. They'd be in that mix. Agreed. Uh, but now, yeah, tier four. I think there's just too much tur- turnover there. Uh, and again, I like your prediction on the Big Twelve schedule of the four teams come incoming. You're not going to get to face the other three. Like you, I'm, I'm sure there as a as a program, you want to face the new Big Twelve, and you want a shot at Oklahoma and Texas if you can get one because you, this might be the only chance to do so. So you're not going to see that, that favorable schedule and Cincinnati's non-con includes a road game at Pitt. I don't love Pitt, but that's not an easy road game. Uh, West Virginia agreed. I Again, I'm, I don't know what to be excited about with West Virginia. I just, I don't. Um, I haven't seen enough as far as transfers in and out or the coaching changes made. I do think the offensive coordinator promotion should be an interesting one. But at this point, I there's not enough different to me from West Virginia last season to this coming season to go. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to take it. This is it. The climb has finally reached its peak and we're going to see West Virginia take a big jump. At this point, I think we just know what West Virginia under Neil Brown is. Um, I don't, I don't have enough faith to put them any higher than tier four. And I do think the buyout will finally be low enough by the end of the upcoming season that he, like that's the hottest seat in the big 12 it, it, by, by a wide margin is the hottest seat in the big 12. And I don't think it will be any cooler. Uh, I actually have Houston in my tier three. Now, look, I know Houston loses. I mean, look, you're losing tank Dell. You're losing Clayton tune. 
that's incredibly difficult to replace. Um, your defense, specifically your secondary, is getting just depleted by graduation. Like, I, I don't know what Houston has coming back to get you super excited. I do think they have done a very, very good job in the transfer portal getting Donovan Smith from Texas Tech to come and be a quarterback. We've seen have success in the Big 12. And look, I am not a Dana lover. We have, we talk in the pig spot all the time. We we may have a lot of negative comments to make about Dana, but and I hate I'm going to say this. I kind of do. I do wonder if his familiarity with the Big 12 will give him uh, a little bit of a heads up when they arrive. I'm not saying that they're going to come tear through the Big 12 because he didn't really do that much when he was in the Big 12 to begin with. But I do think having a head coach that is familiar with the conference should help Houston at least some. And I kind of feel like Houston is a volatile program where it's really hard. They're almost the Big 12 in a nutshell. It's going to be really hard with Dana at Houston to expect them to perform up to or down to expectations because they don't do that on a week-to-week basis. So I, I really think Houston, having played Texas Tech the last two seasons, played Kansas last season, Dana's got the familiarity. I think they're positioned to at least be a Tier 3 team. Uh, as for Iowa State, also Tier 3 for me. I think that defense should be good again. It always is. I, there's no reason for me to believe that Iowa State's defense is going to take a massive step back. This is one of those teams that, huge question mark. You just brought in a new offensive line coach. That's going to take a little bit of time to acclimate, but that's a position group that's been a problem. You finally hired a special teams coordinator. I don't know how we, we have talked ad nauseum about Iowa state special teams on this podcast. You got a new, you've promoted someone else to be offensive coordinator. You have made the necessary changes to the coaching staff that you had to make. Can you get a run game going? And will Hunter Deckers make a leap this year? There are Iowa state's got the like, I trust Iowa State on defense to continue to be good. They just will. Can the changes that you made help course correct the massive issues for Iowa State? They could. We've seen those kinds of things happen before. I'm not going to put them at the bottom. I I think they will turn things around. Contend for a big title next year? No. But that's one of those teams I'm going to put them in Tier 3 because they shouldn't be as bad as they were this year. They just shouldn't. How many how many close games are they? All right, so before you get to your additions to your Tier 4, uh, a couple of thoughts. Houston and Iowa State, where we disagree, uh, I get it with Iowa State on defense. They were a great team this last year, 2022, 21-20. <laughs> They've had so many great defenses that have gone to waste. And so for me to expect that to change if they are a tier four team with a great defense if they come up with another great defense like a, a top defense in the big 12 then they still have to improve on offense to get out of tier four and if their defense regresses at all because there is turnover um you know at a few key spots then their offense has to definitely improve to get them out of tier four if that's where they were this last year. And I think, so I think Will know, McDonald has finally run out of eligibility. Maybe. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, <laughs> so you've got that's in my mind, you know, it's, is the defense going to be another top defense in the big 12? Maybe. Well, it was last year and they were, they still missed a bowl game. So that doesn't guarantee they're out of tier four um, where you're happy to make a bowl game at the end of the season. 
And so either one of two things has to happen. Either the defense is going to regress a little bit, you know, over time because it finally will, and their offense really has to improve, or their defense has to be top 10 again. And I, I don't know, you know, at some point you could say it's a trend and it's going to hold um, just like you know, the reason I've got Oklahoma state in tier three is because no matter how much roster turnover is, and no matter how shaky it seems in the coaching room, Mike Gundy still seems to feel the team that makes a bowl game and, you know, does something with themselves. Uh, so I, that's why I've got the discrepancy there, but I understand it because the defense is likely going to be really strong in it. So if they are, it doesn't require a lot of improvement from the offense to finally get over the hump and, and move up the chain, but we still have to see that. Um, and then like you wonder a couple, you know, a couple of years ago when they were really good, they had Brees Hall, they had, um, Brock Purdy, and we see those guys go off to the next level and suddenly, Brock Purdy's a rookie of the year. And the only reason he's the rookie of the year in the NFL is because Brees Hall tore his ACL while he was in the middle of a rookie of the year campaign um, of his own doing. And like, you know, like the, the jets don't win hardly win a game without Brees Hall uh, in it running back. And so you're like, if those guys were that good, you know, how come we didn't see the offensive explosiveness that Iowa state that could pair with a top 10 defense to be special for more than one season where you still lost three games with a, a loss to Louisiana to start the season. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. No, no, I'll tell you why. Um, Iowa state special teams, because Matt Campbell has refused to fix them has been, have cost them multiple mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. Um, an offensive scheme. That mm-hmm doesn't that doesn't isn't going to put up a ton of points it can um and his record the last two years in one score games was three and eleven so what is going to change without those skill position players because you lot you didn't have that this last year mm-hmm. and the offense stunk so of those things what uh, is going opinion- to change so substantially that you get a different result my expectation is that the offense will will improve. I have a hard time seeing it be as bad as it was. I think now that you brought in a special teams coordinator, special teams ha- cannot be cannot be as bad as it was. I mean, it's gotten worse every single year since he got there. So I could be wrong. It could finally hit rock bottom and be the worst special teams in FBS next year. But my belief is that the changes that have been made to the coaching staff will help turn solve some of the problems that they have had at Iowa State, both on offense and on special teams. Now, I don't expect that offense to suddenly... Like, I think it's when you make some of the changes they made, it's going to take a couple of years to really get rolling. But this is why I do believe they'll take enough to be in. Again, we're talking the difference between Tier 3 and 2-4. I'm not saying that they're going to finish top half of the conference next year, but I do think that they will be better last, next yep. year. Um, the other two... So in my Houston. Tier... Here, oh, before Houston. we get to your other two. Houston, we, we disagreed on also... And uh, I'm with you on Donovan Smith. I think that is a tremendous value add because of his experience. And you could say like, oh, well, the Big 12 coach, they've got tape on him. Some of them played him. Um, so maybe that counts against him. But I, I think just value, a value add, not just because he has played against Big 12 teams, but also he understands what it takes to be a Big 12 team and brings that to the locker room. Your quarterback's going to be your locker room leader, you would think. And so... That's going to help Houston out. 
then you also look at like, all right, well, how good was their 22 campaign that they're trying to build off of going into big 12 play? Um, you've got, they played six arguably good teams in uh, 2022 and they lost four of those six games. And then they had a loss against Tulsa, who I would not call good. Um, they, they beat East Carolina. who was not bad in the AC play last year. They also beat UTSA in week one in triple overtime. So the two good wins, um, UTSA was a good team last year. Um, no, no shame in picking up that one. They lost to Texas Tech on the road in double overtime. That's not a bad loss, given how Texas Tech fared. Now, early in the season, we didn't quite know that. But in hindsight, that's a, not a bad loss. They lost to Kansas um, at home. They lost in overtime to Tulane, who we know was very good. And, and they lost to SMU uh, when they gave up 77 points on the road. So Houston, I think, is the team that will play with a lot of teams next year. They will be in a lot of games and several games against teams that are a lot better than them. And so it would be easy for them to win one or two extra games of the six to eight close games they will play against teams that I think are better than them. And suddenly they're easily a tier three team. So uh, I, I get, you know, when you have them as tier three, I, I get where that comes from. You know, it, it's not too far fetched to see a couple of those games against good teams go the other way. And uh, they just move on up the food chain. Uh, the other two I have in tier four would be BYU. And part of the BYU situation is I think they lose a lot off this roster. I think BYU, we saw two straight years of, of having success. And this past season, I think that schedule was far closer to what they'll face in 23 than the one in 21. And they looked good in 21. They beat all those Pac-12 teams, but they beat a, bottom, beat a lot of bottom of the Pac-12 Pac-12 teams. And last year, they were in a lot of close games. I think BYU is going to struggle in a Big 12 schedule more than anybody else is, despite how many Power 5 teams they usually play. I think they're going to have a hard time. I also think the travel for them, depending upon the schedule, I don't know if they'll get sent all the way to UCF, but I do think they travel a lot. I just I think BYU is going to have a hard time in year one. I think of all the teams coming in, yeah, Cincinnati is for sure, but I have a hard time seeing BYU show up and just immediately be successful. I think they they can be, but I have issues with what they've lost off the roster. The last one's Oklahoma State. Um, I'm look, I am I'm I'm glad with how everything's going to be done. Um, I have always been pro. Like he's gonna, you know, they make a bowl game every year. The only year he's missed a bowl game was year one. I don't know that he's going to make any changes to the coaching staff. And if that on the offensive side of the ball, if that offensive coaching staff, which has been around for the last three years when the offense has not been good and you lose Spencer Sanders. So your starting quarterback is either Alan Bowman, who hasn't played significant snaps in three years or um, a true freshman or a red shirt freshman, um, an offensive line that still is going to have questions as it does every year because they can't seem to sustain one being healthy. And I understand injuries are part of college football, but you've set a pattern over a few years now of being unable to keep one healthy. You lost way too many weapons. They're going to have to acclimate way too many wide receivers that at this point have been unproven at a power five level. You lost. I just, I look at everything they lost and I know they brought in a lot out of the trial. They brought a lot in out of the transfer portal, a lot, a ton 
there are some really good pieces on this team. And you know what? They'll probably make a bowl game and, and maybe go seven and five. I just I'm having a hard time with expectations for Oklahoma State, and they've got too many question marks. This is the end. They have too many question marks to me at too many important points, especially with no defensive coordinator at this point, for me to confidently say they're gonna finish high in the Big Twelve next year. Like this I'm having a hard time with it. Yeah, so Oklahoma State, how how did we define our tiers? What what do you consider a successful season? And tier four was it'd be it'd be nice to go to a bowl game, six and six. Uh, tier three was you'd like to see the team get to eight wins or more. Um, and yeah, so like Oklahoma to, State, but... if you look at Mike Gundy's record at Oklahoma State, he's been there for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And his records, you've got this is the number of wins for Mike Gundy, four Seven, seven, first three years. Then he goes nine, nine, eleven, twelve, eight, ten, seven wins in twenty fourteen. So he was six and six with a bowl win. Yep. I remember that year. Ten, ten, ten. Then twenty eighteen. He went six and six and then beat Liberty. So seven and six again. Then eight, eight, twelve, and then last year seven with a loss in the guaranteed rate bowl. And so this year you're thinking there is lots of turmoil. At Oklahoma State, there's a lot of change at Oklahoma State. Half the roster has transferred, it seems. You know, every every day over the last three months, it seemed like 20 guys from the team said, I'm entering the transfer portal. I don't <laughs> want to be at Oklahoma State. Um, so you, there's all that uncertainty. And yet, 16 years in a row where Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State has won seven or more games. And for me to sit here and think, they should be happy next year. I should be expecting next year that it would be a good season for Oklahoma State if they went six and six. Maybe that's true. Um, I think it's more likely that they go seven and six again with a win or a loss in a bowl game. And we're thinking, you know, if they just nipped off another game, they'd have been eight and five. And you know, that's a good season given the turmoil they had to deal with at the program. So that's why I've got them as a tier three team. I think it's more likely that they make a bowl game than miss a bowl game. Whereas the tier four teams I've got, it's more likely they'll miss a bowl game than make one. So that's where I get the distinction. And, and part of that is just credit to Mike Gundy, because if you look at the roster, I agree with you tier four based on the importance of the quarterback position and the unknown there given the roster turnover um, easily be a tier four team. And the only reason I've got them as tier three is the track record of Mike Gundy, even in the down years, which it seems like once every four years, roughly he has one, they still get to seven and six. So that, I, that's my thought on them. And I, the, the other I one, would, BYU. I would argue, hold I, on, real quick. I would argue on OSU this. Um, I remember every season of Mike Gundy's tenure in Oklahoma State. And the difference was typically with the bad years, there was reason to have optimism heading into the following season. Like they would, they, they always win their, they, they win their bowl game. Every six and six regular season they've had, they've won their bowl game. You've seen, had reason to have optimism. This is a very unique year of you are, you were lucky to get to seven wins in the regular season. You ended the year on an absolute downward spiral. And then had all these transfers in the portal, your DC leaves, and it doesn't feel like some of the real reasons for the issues at Oklahoma State are going to be corrected. 
I am I am not a pessimistic. I, I tend to lean towards trying to be optimistic about OSU. Uh, I, I will make my bold statement now. I think we're seeing what is similar to the end of the Gary Patterson era at Oklahoma State with, with Gundy. I, I, th- I think that's where we're going. Um, but, and I understand everything, and I will give Gundy credit. I'm just really worried. Um, go ahead, on BYU. Yeah, so BYU, um, you, know, you look at their 2022 campaign, because 21 for them was good. They were a top 15 team. 2020, they were not bad. I think they were ranked at the end of the year. 2022, they start out there 4-1. and one. With a win over Baylor, they've got the loss to Oregon, which at the end of the year, we know that's a respectable loss. Not a, you know, Oregon was a good team. Um, I get it. It wasn't a super close game, but I get the loss. Then they lose four games in a row. They have tremendous injury within the program. They've got um, So they've got health problems midseason. They had a midseason slump. They lost four games in a row. Notre Dame, Arkansas, Liberty, East Carolina, none of those are bad teams. Um Liberty could have beaten Big 12 mid-tier teams last year. Um, they also could have lost a bottom-tier team. They were very up and down. Um, same thing with East Carolina. They had you know good moments, bad moments. Arkansas up and down, mid-tier Power 5 team. Notre Dame was not bad, but they were also a mid-tier Power 5 team last year. So you've got some reason for concern with BYU. And I wonder how much of that was attributed to uh, just the health problems they had within their program that were really hitting hard mid-season, or was that just a, a window of what life is going to look like in a Power 5 conference where you'll have your good moments, but you'll have plenty of bad moments as well because the competition level has stiffened substantially. So you know, I, I question that. You know, Is BYU more likely to you know, rebound from last year as a down year. And now they're, you know, maybe eight and four regular season, which is a, a good season for a tier three team. You know, do I think they're not going to make a bowl game? I think they'll make a bowl game. Um, although they challenge themselves in non-conference. So maybe that's not going to happen. Uh, I think they're at Arkansas this year in non-conference and they've got Sam Houston state who's now in the power five and, you know, for several years as an FCS team, not a pushover. Um, and I said power five, group of five. G- They're now G5. FBS. Yes. yes. Pardon me, misspeak. So <laughs> you know, your your non-conference schedule doesn't do you any favors. The game at Arkansas is going to be hard to win. Um, but I, I think BYU, because of how they have uh, modeled their program as an independent last year, they are better positioned to know what it's like playing in a power five conference and the other three AAC teams are. And so I'm not as worried about like the increase in competition, having like a big impact on their ability to be successful. Um, I don't think they're going to contend for the big 12 by any means, but I don't think they're going to miss a bowl game. And so that's why I've got them out of my bottom four. Okay. Uh, well, let's just move along. Then the rest of, uh, I had, Four teams in my tier three, Iowa State and Houston. The rest of my tier three, uh, UCF, um, I who I think is the best bet of the four entering. Um, yeah, you're swapping out both coordinators. Uh, um, you've got a head coach who coached at the SEC. I'm not going to give him too much credit for that because I think Gus is a little bit dated, but he knows how to coach in a power five. 
Um, I do think that is a good roster. Yes, they've had some guys leave. They've brought in some talent as well. You get John Rice Plumley back, who I think is big for them. You've got a experienced starting quarterback, which is a, a big thing to have. Uh, again, you look at the teams that I put in the bottom. I mean, big quarterback questions, not big questions about John Rice Plumley. I think UCF is a tier three team that they are, uh, to me, heading into year one in this new Big 12. Schedule dependent, of course, and they are going to have travel. I mean, it, they're the furthest, most eastward team. Yeah. Um, but I do think they are best positioned, and schedule is going to matter a lot, to have the most success in year one of the Big 12. Another team I have is Baylor. Uh, a lot of changes in the coaching staff there. New running back coach, new special teams, new uh, safeties coach, new defensive coordinator. Now, that's a defensive coordinator who has familiarity with Baylor. He'd been there for a few, uh, for a couple of years under Aranda before he went off to Oregon. Um, running back, they loaded up at running back in the transfer portal. They, they brought in like... Uh, I think they got like like two or three guys with what they have. They fixed the running back. Can they get, I have no problem with the defense. I expect good defensive play. Aranda knows what he's doing. Can they get good quarterback play is a big question for me. Like I said, with the tier three teams to me, there's a big question mark. Baylor's big question mark. Quarterback play is a big part of it. Um, I need to do a deep dive on the wide receiver room and see how I feel about it. I feel better about running back. Although look, Dominic Richardson was okay. He was, was good at Oklahoma state. I don't expect that he's going to go to Baylor and suddenly be like 10,000 times better though. You know, Richard Reese, the name to know that that's who you're hoping at Baylor carries the running back room as a sophomore. Yeah. As a freshman, he was awesome. Awesome. He was awesome. That's true. So, and what what is this sophomore campaign going to look like? Are they going to even play him? You know, they they left him behind uh, their other backs late in the season last year for no reason. So we'll see. Uh, but so, so UCF and Baylor ran up my my tier three. Yeah, so my tier three. I've got UCF also as a tier three team coming in. The coordinator change. Uh, there's some uncertainty with that, which makes me nervous. Um, I think Gus they, has changed offensive coordinators every year. He's been at UCF. Yeah, I, I there's just something something about last year's success didn't seem repeatable to me given stiffer competition. And then, you know, who am I to question UCF who time and time again seems to overperform and find themselves in a great position late into the season, you know, a chance to play for a conference title. You know, they beat Tulane last year, one of the two teams to do so. Kansas State, USC didn't achieve that feat. Um, they have every opportunity to overachieve. And if any of the four new schools are going to join and build momentum, uh, UCF is the school that has done that for almost their entire existence. You know, they, at first it was like USF not wanting them to get into the big East even, um, back when that was a, uh, a conference, and so it's like they they've been fighting this uphill battle, you know, with a much sharper program trajectory for their entire existence than what their in-state rival has ever had. And now they're going to come into a power conference for the first time. They're the only of these schools, you know, Cincinnati of the four new schools has made the playoff, but it's UCF that has, you know, the the undefeated season and, you know, claim even if it's a, a little 
you know, on the light side, a claim in a national title because they beat the team that beat the two um, <laughs> teams that played for the title. So, you know, who am I to discount that? So UCF, like of the teams that are joining, you know, BYU got the legacy. Cincinnati had the playoff success. Houston has Southwest Conference roots. And I think UCF is the one that has the sharpest arrow pointing upward as far as potential. This year, I don't think it's going to translate into you know immediate success in so far as like they contend for the conference title but they're not a tier four team for me i think they're right placed in tier three and then i've got i i've swapped i i suspect i will have swapped baylor and kansas from your tier two tier three uh designation i've got kansas as my other tier three team and it's not because i don't love Kansas. I don't love what they have done with the program last year and what they seem like they're going to get to do this next year, the direction that they are going as a, pro- as a program. Um, you know, for me, tier two of contending for the conference uh, with the right schedule, I think if Kansas had the right schedule, I think they'd still be a game or two short of contending with two weeks ago. I think they'd be, you know, on the outside needing unlikely losses to happen. Um, and so for me, that's tier three. And, and the reason I've got Baylor as tier two and Kansas as tier three is that Baylor, I think if they had good consistent quarterback play this last year would have already been in that tier. And we would, we wouldn't have any problem saying they're a, a tier two team going into next year as well. Kansas, I think had really good quarterback play most of the year and they weren't close to tier two this year. And so I think they'll continue to have good quarterback play next year. And I think it's harder to, you know, quarterback play is the most important thing, but I think it's harder to get the rest of the roster to where you can contend for the conference title than it is to find the right quarterback or see improvement in a quarterback uh, one year to the next. And so in my mind, Baylor's like, you know, are they one player away from being a contender with the right schedule? Maybe, you know, let's say Sawyer Robinson, the transfer from Mississippi State comes in and wins the quarterback job and suddenly plays great. You know, does the rest of the roster you know, stand up to at least be a contender? Or is it Kansas who this year they had good quarterback play and you're wondering how is the rest of their roster going to mature knowing that there are a lot of positions that are good, but need to be better next year if they're going to contend for the title. Um, I could see both of them as tier three. I could see both of them as tier two. Um, I I kind of just split them and uh, I split them on what is the likelihood that the entirety of the Kansas roster improves versus the likelihood that Baylor gets improved quarterback play. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just seemed to me more likely that quarterback play either is improved because Shapen grows as a quarterback because when he was good last year, he was really good. Team was really good or that uh, he gets beaten out and uh, someone else comes in and that is strong at that position. Um, but I, I get them being tier three for you. They're borderline for me. You know, I only put them in tier two to make sure I had an even split between my top uh, tiers and my bottom tiers. That's fair. Um, I'll make one note, and we'll probably talk about it a lot throughout this offseason. 
on the four end coming. Uh, I'll remind you, TCU, before they joined the Big 12, had four straight double-digit win seasons. The first two seasons in the Big 12, they went 7-6 and six and 4-8. and eight. Now, they went to 12-1 and one the following year, but 7-6 and six and 4-8. and eight. West Virginia had had three straight nine-win seasons and a 10-win season, and then went 7-6, 4-8, and then went 10-3. and three. It's a big adjustment. I think part of the problem for West Virginia in the Big 12 is that the Big 12 has been far more difficult to play in than the Big East when they were in it. So, look, I, I, if you're expecting as a UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, or BYU fan to come into the conference and immediately contend, they've had an extra season, a, a season more than, Cincinnati, than TCU and West Virginia had to prepare to join the Big 12. They've had an extra year to kind of start on recruiting and start working towards that. We also have the transfer portal, which did not exist at that time, to help you boost your roster in a way that you didn't used to be able to. But just understand expectations when you're joining up a level that you need to kind of have some realistic expectations. Now, Baylor and Kansas. Yes, I have Kansas in Tier 2. Now, I would put them at the bottom of my Tier 2. And I will say this. Um... It's hard to expect another leap in the same way that we saw from year one to year two to occur from year two to year three. But I do think if you get a healthy Jalen Daniels for the season, I do think he will continue to improve. I do think this is for Kansas for the second straight offseason so far is a team that wins the transfer portal. They did not lose. Last summer, they lost nobody impactful and they brought in a ton of impactful players. This year, similarly, there's not a lot of guys that left for the portal that I'm like, oh, they're really going to miss them. But they've already brought in a few I really like. Patrick Joyner from Utah State. Uh, biggest one to me is Logan Brown from Wisconsin. I think Kansas continues to do a good job in the portal. Um, and I do think this is a team that's going to continue to improve. I am I am putting in the bottom of the tier two because this is one of those teams of, am I going to pick them to go to the baseball title game? Goodness. No. No. Um, but Kendall Daniels, when he is on, is that big of a factor. We saw Kansas in a couple games play good defense. We've seen how explosive this offense can be. I am giving them the edge because I I believe that their floor is pretty high. I think this is a team that should go back to a bowl game. And that, to me alone for Kansas, is... That's progress. Kansas going to two straight, going to bowl games in two straight seasons. That is that is progress for a team who just went to their first bowl game in more than a decade this past season. But I do think there is an opportunity here. We've seen crazier things happen. Uh, shoot, Matt Rule and Baylor went from zero wins to six wins to a Big Twelve championship game. Now I'm not predicting that for Kansas. I'm just saying, in a conference as volatile as the Big Twelve is, with four brand new teams coming in. I think I have seen enough from Kansas this past year that if they can keep Kendall Daniels healthy, I think they win more games. I think Kansas with Kendall Daniels beats that Oklahoma team. Kendall? Jalen? Sorry, J- why am I saying Kendall Daniels? Oh my gosh, that is the safety for Oklahoma State, not the quarterback for Kansas. Pardon me. <laughs> I think healthy Jalen Daniels against Oklahoma, Kansas beats OU. I do. Yeah, I I think I, I just, so. Here's my take for next year. You remember when I said that Houston? I thought they will play a lot of close games next year, and I think they'll lose most of them. But they'll play them, especially against teams that are a lot better than them. I think Kansas is going to be the exact same as Houston, but I think they will win one or two more of those games against teams that I think are better than them. I think they will play 
all most of the top conference teams close. And I think they will pick up one or two more wins against that group than what Houston will do. And that is why I've got them at a higher tier level. I think they're similar teams in that they should score lots of points. They're likely to give up lots of points given their track records, given this year's you know evidence. Um, but I, I think Kansas will pick up a few more of those wins and you know, they'll, they'll be a little bit better off for it. All right, John, you had Baylor in your tier two. Who, who else is in your tier two? So I've got some hot takes in my my tier two and my tier one. Uh, I think we both have six teams amongst those collective two tiers, three, uh, maybe three or four in your tier one um, and two or three in your tier two. I've got three and three uh, with Baylor just barely hanging on as a tier two team. Um I, I I wouldn't mind at all if, if we agreed that they were tier three. Uh, my other two two teams, I've got Texas Tech as a tier two team, similar to how Kansas has made a substantial leap last year. Texas Tech made a substantial leap last year, but even better. You know, they picked up the win over Texas early in the year. They've finished uh, what fourth in conference um, at the end of the season. Uh, solo fourth end conference, I believe. Uh, great season for Texas Tech. Um, they are likely to start the season next year, either receiving votes or somewhere in the 22 to 25 range when they have, you know the first AP poll of the year comes out. So there will be uh, reasonably high expectations uh, that uh, they'll be playing some good football in Lubbock this year. I think with the right schedule, Texas Tech could contend for a Big 12 title. Um, I think with the wrong schedule, they'll be somewhere in that eight win, you know, range where a good season they get to nine, a bad season they lose an extra game, they go seven and five. Um, I'm a believer of the Joey McGuire hype train. Um, I don't know if I'm a believer of the rumor that Baylor was good because they had Joey McGuire, just like Baylor basketball was good because they had Jerome Tang. You know, both of those uh, rumors are out there. Those theories um, are in play. Uh, it, it's entirely possible that Texas Tech uh, and Joey McGuire are, you know, Joey at Baylor is what carried the boat. And now that he's at Texas Tech, you're going to see the same level of success. I don't know. Um, I'm inclined to think that if they get a favorable schedule, they'll be, they will be, what, how many games? They're playing nine games in conference. I think they'll be six and one next year in conference play with a couple games to go with three games to go. Um, no, two games to go. I think they will be five and two or six and one if they get a favorable schedule uh, in conference play with two games to go, which would mean they're contending for the Big 12 title game. Now, if they if they get some of the harder games in the Big 12, maybe they've got you know three losses by that point in time and you kind of think of them as you know if they're out of it, but they're still on track for an eight and four or nine and five or nine and three season, I should say. Um, but that's my prediction for Tech and why I've got them as a tier two team. I think they're, they are good enough on defense. They've got enough talent in the skill positions on offense. Their offensive line has improved enough over the last year that I see them uh, with potential to contend for a Big 12 title. The other team in my tier two is TCU, who I looked at, uh, I think, 
13 um, way too early top 25s from all across the internet and kind of tried to understand who other people thought would be the crown of the Big 12 uh, next year. And of course, no one was right going into 2022 because everyone had Baylor as the top team in the Big 12. And they, that kind of flamed out. Um, everyone, you know, there were a few exceptions, but the vast majority had TCU as the top build team uh, in the Big 12 next year. Their average uh, ranking, I think, was 12.35 and people's way too early top 25. No one in the Big 12 was in the top 10 consistently uh, for anyone. But I think for TCU, um, what is more likely that they take the momentum of last season and immediately contend as the powerhouse in the Big 12 once again with all of the loss that they had um, on both sides of the ball, including quarterback, running back, running back, top receiver. Um, You've got, you know, movement at the offensive line. I know they've got lots of really strong transfers coming in, which is a question mark. And who am I to question Sonny Dykes uh, after what he showed in year one uh, with that, what was supposed to be, you know, a down TCU team. Um, But I I question whether or not they will take a minor step back. And for me, a minor step back means with the right schedule, they'd contend for the conference title again. And if they get uh, a, a weighty, meaty schedule, then you know they're on the fringe of conference contention late in the season, and, and they probably don't make the title game. And so I, I don't think that's a bad season, rebounding off of a playoff appearance, a national title game appearance. You know, I think if you're if that's what your season turns out to be next year with all of the turnover they have, that's a great season for TCU. And uh, I, I just don't see them playing for the conference uh, if they get a hard schedule next year. So I too, I'll do this this way. I, I also have Texas tech in my tier two. I think they have a really high ceiling. Um, they, I have the same question with them. I have every year. Can you keep a starting quarterback for the full season? Cause they can't seem to keep anybody healthy, but you get both corners back. You get Adrian Taylor Demerson back. Um, I like what they bring back on defense. Um, if you look at what they did this year, like for Texas Tech, the problem was always like they'd they'd have a good step forward in a game and then they get blown out. They got blown out one time. Game against Baylor, 45-17. Every other loss was 10 points or less. And honestly, like they should have probably won that game at Oklahoma State. And then Baron Morton got hurt. And I think that they, the game against TCU is closer than the final score indicates. I think the game against Kansas State was closer than the final score indicates. NC State was rough, but you were dealing with quarterback injuries, and I think NC State's defense was really stinking good. I think year one, you would, I would expect, based off what I saw in year one of the Joy McGuire era, for there to be a step forward in year two. I do like this Texas Tech team. I do think they have a real potential. I think of if the a new team is going to make the Big 12 title game every year trend is going to continue, it's Texas Tech. Because the only ones left are Kansas, West Virginia, and the four incoming. Those are the only teams that since the conference championship game, game back have not made the Big 12 title game. Texas Tech, Kansas, West Virginia, and the four incoming. Of those seven teams, Texas Tech is the best shot at that happening. I thought it was Kansas State this last year. And hey, they did it. Texas Tech, to me, is the team who is most likely to do it this year. I kind of have them, if I was going to 
if I was going to rank within tiers, I would have Texas Tech atop my tier two. Um, I think they're that team that I am. I need to see some stuff, and they've got Oregon at home in week two in their non-conference, coming after a road game at Wyoming. So wacky non-conference boys. I don't I don't know who put that one together. I mean, it should be fun. It'd be interesting to see how they look against Oregon, who should be really good this next season. But I I do think Texas Tech has a potential has a chance. We got to see how this schedule stacks up for them to be in contention late in the season for the Big Twelve title game. Um, I have TCU in tier one. Look, I, I you you pointed you made the point. Duggan is gone. Quinton Johnson's gone. Top two running backs are gone. The interior of their offensive line is gone. They're bringing in, I don't know how many players from Alabama and LSU transferring into to TCU. TCU to me is going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stat out here and I'm having a hard time with, with kind of historical data with college football and how relevant it is now that we have the transfer portal era, because it's, mm-hmm. it is such a, agree a hard thing. It's not, we have never had anything like it, and it completely changes how college football works. And there's no way to use data to back it up. Here's what the data. Here's the stat I'm going to show you. Now, oh, I'm not including OU here because OU went to the championship game four years in a row. They just did it. But for the the team that would face Oklahoma or everybody not named Oklahoma since the title game came back, here's the record the year they made it. Here's the record the year after. TCU in 2017 went 11 and three. They were seven and six the next year. 2018 was Texas. They went 10 and four. They were eight and five the next year. 2019, it was Baylor, 11 and three, 0 and nine in 2020, COVID coaching change. Yeah. Iowa State in 2020, COVID, yeah, nine and three, seven and six next year. 2021, Oklahoma State, 12 and two, seven and six this past year. Baylor, 12 and two, Baylor, six and seven this past year. This feeds into that whole, this conference is incredibly volatile. For TCU to stay, get back to Arlington, would be massive for any either him or Kansas State. And of those two teams, I understand what all TCU has coming in from the portal. Of Kansas State and TCU, I have Kansas State in Tier 1 as well as TCU. We'll get to them in a minute. I believe more in Kansas State because of what they have coming back where compared to TCU. You're losing Max Duggan. You're losing Quinton Johnson. You're losing your top two running backs. All stuff you can place, you're losing your two interior, and they're losing a bunch off defense. I am, I'm having a hard time even with the portal. I think TCU is going to be an interesting test case in how does a team like TCU, who has a talented roster, who's not lost a ton to the portal, but has lost a ton to graduation in the NFL, utilize the portal and can it keep them in contention? I'm very interested in TCU and what they look like next season, but I have them in tier one, kind of the bottom of tier one, but I have them in tier one. Mm-hmm. The other team I have in tier two that you have in tier one, based off of the way we're talking, because we both have three in tier two and three in tier one. I have Oklahoma in tier two. I am, yep. I am, I am not expecting, I'm expecting a big jump from them this year. I am not going to take them to what I think was a tier th- bottom of tier three team this year. Get just getting to a bowl game and then, you know, having a nice performance in that going to tier one. I, they are doing a good job in the portal. They have a bunch of talent coming in. They will not have the backup quarterback situation that cost, cost them multiple games this past season. The culture change should be in place for year two. Oh, you should take if Brent Venables is going to work as the head coach of Oklahoma, they should take a big jump this season. I am not taking them from 
bottom of tier three to tier one this year. I want to see, because I do think on defense, they still have some roster makeovering to do there. So I, I am interested to see what they look like, but I, I'm not going to go as bold as tier one. So I, I've got some hot takes on why I think Texas and Oklahoma have inside tracks potentially. You know, we we don't know anything. Uh, this is pure speculation why I think they have a track to the Big 12 title game. And it is because I believe that it is likely that given given the likelihood that those two schools leave the Big 12 after this year, it seems likely that the new coming schools will get a shot at one or both of those teams this year when the schedule comes out. Now, I may be wrong. Mm. You know, Oklahoma might not play a single one of them. Actually, mm. I guess that's not possible. They might have to play, um, I guess, 14 teams. You know, I guess 13 teams to play. You get nine games. It's a possible you could skip all four. Um, but <laughs> no I think way. it's likely that Oklahoma on the schedule, they'll have Texas, so the two of them will play each other. Oklahoma I would expect still gets Oklahoma state who we think is in tremendous turmoil this year. If they get three of the four new schools, let's say they don't get all four, uh, but they get three of them. That's three teams that we think they are better than uh, three teams. You know, none of us, you know, maybe UCF, yes. You know, OU at UCF, that could be a really good game. And, and maybe that that's a loss, but you know, let's say that's three games that they would be favored in. Uh, we think uh, right now. So that's four wins in conference. You get a loss to UT, or one of the two of them loses that game. And that's, you know, for UT, um, right now, we would both think, based on our tier systems, we both think UT is a tier one team, Texas Tech tier two. They're probably going to play, you know, rivalry game. Um, UT might get TCU again. I don't know. They, they've been playing. Um, or There was a time where the two of them, you know, Texas Tech and TCU were swapping on and off for the Thanksgiving game for Texas. Um I don't think that holds anymore, but they'll, you would expect Texas to definitely play Texas Tech. They'll play Oklahoma. Um, and then if they get three of the new teams, you know, suddenly all you have to do is pick up one or two of Iowa State, West Virginia, and maybe Baylor, if you don't think super highly of them. And you're looking at a team that has a what I would call a favorable conference schedule. So when we talk about the tier two teams, it's you're going to contend for a conference uh, title if you've got a favorable schedule and if you get a, a tough schedule, maybe you're not going to. And I think it's more likely that Oklahoma and Texas get what we deem a favorable schedule because of the games against the new incoming schools um, that I'm willing to slot them in. I'm confident enough that they would be a tier two team per our definition that they're going to get the favorable schedule that elevates them to a tier one team and that is my pure speculation because the schedule might come out and i'm totally wrong and uh, they just have the absolute worst schedule because the whole time the big 12 has been scheming to figure out how can we ensure that oklahoma and texas take the most losses next year i have no idea what's going on but that's John, my that speculation is, oh, i oh that is a unique and interesting take of haha we sent you to ucf and byu oh no we actually gave you two w's as opposed to having to play two or three of the other contending teams. And so, Oh, Oh no. And that is literally the worst case scenario for the big 12 in 23 
is Texas and Oklahoma making the conference championship game and then bouncing for the SEC. Like that and is, so there is no worst that is case my hottest of hot takes is that Ooh. the Big 12 has made so many mistakes over the last 10 years about how they prepared their conference, the teams that they allowed in, when they finally allowed teams in versus when they should have, uh, what they've done on marketing. I think that they've made so many mistakes that you know, there's there's no question in my mind that we're just going to watch Oklahoma and Texas play for a Big 12 title and then both leave for the SEC. And, uh, you know, just one last shot to the foot for the Big 12 for allowing John them. Has, John has put it out into the ethos. He has put it out into the uh, into the universe. I, I cannot tell you how much I would be rooting against that scenario. However, have, we're going to clip I have nothing against. I have to clip this right respect, here. Nothing but respect for Texas and Oklahoma. I think my sister went to Oklahoma. I've got, um, you know, family ties. Nothing but respect for those two schools, and I I could not wish more for them to both go one and eight and zero oh and nine in conference play next year on their way out to the SEC. But it's not going to happen. We both have Texas, our our left over team that we have not yet talked about. You know, we haven't talked much about Kansas State either, but we both have Texas as a tier one team. There's no way. We think that they're not going to at least be contending for the conference title deep into the season, regardless of their schedule. And, you know, you had Oklahoma at least as a tier two team, which means with the right schedule, you see them contending for a conference title. So neither one of us think that's not a possibility, even if as a big 12 homer uh, with Oklahoma and Texas abandoning our beloved conference, it, it would be, you know, per our fandom, we should root against that inevitability. But I, I suspect that they will both find their way into contention deep into the season next year. So my my actual prediction, why I think tier one for Oklahoma, I think they'll beat Texas. And I think with that win next year, um, they'll bounce back after the embarrassment of this last year. I think they win next year against Texas, and that's enough of the you know edge in terms of you know, that plus an easy schedule, I think they'll be contending for the conference title. All right. Um, let's wrap this up with the last two. We both have Kansas State and Texas in Tier 1. Kansas State, mm-hmm. um, look, you bring back Will Howard, Philip Brooks, your top eight offensive linemen. Uh, Daniel Green announcing is huge on the defense because that defense, though, is losing Eli Huggins, Josh, Greg Cheatham, Anaduke Zidoma, Julius Bentz, Brents, Boy, you know, I'm just like that defense is losing so much. With what you bring back on offense, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Kansas State in tier one. Kansas State and TCU, like I, 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 both of them. Again, history tells me that those two teams are gonna fall off next year. But they're just gonna lose too much because the teams who have contended as of late are senior heavy with a lot of experience and typically have good defenses. That's what we've seen the last two years: good defensive play. Um, Kansas State's losing a ton on defense. I'm going to put them in tier one. I'm going to keep them in tier one because of because specifically of what they're bringing back. But they are them and TCU are the ones I am I am most cautious on. Texas, look, um, I, I was listening to cover. Uh, I think I was listening to. Oh no no no! Um, I'll make sure I get the podcast. I was listening to cover two podcast. I think it was our good friend, um, Braden Gall, who made an excellent point. Um, and it's helped shift and shape my opinion. Uh, we always talk about how good Texas is at recruiting. Right? Look at their, look at how highly their classes are ranked. 
The problem with Texas's highly ranked classes for years, including under Tom Herman, was they they did a really good job at skill positions. And so they did a really good job of putting really delicious icing on a mediocre cake because where they sucked at recruiting was offensive and defensive line. Sark has built the foundation of this team on the offensive-defensive line. That offensive line will be the best one of the Big 12 next year. That defensive line should be good. That defense should continue to improve. Yes, Bijan is gone. Roshan is gone. They are not going to be easy to replace, even for Texas. And Quinn Ewers, when it was put on his shoulders, did not play well. There's a reason Texas lost to Oklahoma State and blew that game. They put it all on Quinn Ewers, and Quinn Ewers did not deliver. If Quinn Ewers can take a step forward, and I need to see that, just like I said last year, because there's thus far I have not seen him be in college the guy he's supposed to be. But Texas's four losses in the regular season were one point to Alabama, three points in overtime to Texas Tech, the game against Oklahoma State that they absolutely blew, and seven-point loss to TCU. One or two, like three plays different. And Texas is playing the Big 12 title game this season. They weren't that far off. And I get it. I'm not trying to play like, Texas is back. I get it. There's got it. There's a certain amount of like, I'll believe it when I see it. But with what Sark has done and how they have built this roster and where they have acquired the talent and stocked it up, Texas should be in Tier 1. Because let's be honest, we can make jokes all we want. Texas finished at the Tier 1 this last season. They are in the Tier 1 because they are in contention all the way to the end. They were in contention once they beat Kansas State. They lost to TCU, and then they beat Kansas and Baylor and won both of those games fairly comfortably. Yeah, they lost the bowl game to the to Washington, whatever. They're already preparing their for their, you know, we don't care in the bowl game, we're going to the SEC stuff. Texas at the end of the season was a Tier 1 team in the Big 12. I'm not going to knock him out of it because they didn't lose enough to knock them out of it. And they've only, I think, gotten better. And if Quinn Ewers gets anywhere, actually takes a step forward. And I'm again, I'm not going to buy all the Quinn Ewers hype until I actually see it. But they were close despite him being okay on a lot of games. Yeah, I I think the inevitability with Texas is that uh, they've spent like 10 years with the talent, but needing the coaching to extract and mature the talent. And I think they are, you know, we, we, we will find out if uh, Mr. Sarkeesian is the right coach to maximize talent, which is what is required to contend for a title. Sonny Dykes last year maximized the talent, not just in that he improved the talent or helped extract talent, but he maximized um, you need that to contend for a title outside of the Big 12, but um, you don't need that to contend for the Big 12. And Steve Sarkeesian has certainly proven that he can mature talent at Texas over the two seasons he's been there. We have seen player growth and development um, enough to where it's easy to see them contend once again for a Big 12 title next year. Um and why it's easy to see them contending if they make it, you know, when they go to the SEC, if that continues, if that trend continues, they may uh, continue to find themselves in a good position in that conference as well. Um, so that it's easy to see it. You know, most everyone, there are three teams that 
we're in everyone's way too early top 25 uh, from the Big 12, every single one of them. And it was uh, TCU, Kansas State, and Texas, you know, because everyone sees that from both Kansas State and Texas. Kansas State, um, potential step back on defense, sure. Dynamic offense, absolutely. Um, that should be enough to contend for the Big 12 title this year. They will be good on defense, maybe not great, but they'll be good, which is going to be enough. They will be great on offense, I suspect. And um, yeah, I, I don't think we've got any questions about Kansas State. You know, they ever since they brought in uh, Chris Kleiman, um, they've been on an upward trajectory, and I see no reason that's going to flatten out or you know degress going into this next season. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for the inevitable. Now that we've made our tier predictions, Philip, uh, we've got our our tier one and tier two teams. The things teams we think are going to play for the title. I'm excited for next year's uh, Kansas versus Houston Big 12 title game now because you know, <laughs> there's, there's no question we'll be wildly wrong in the worst ways possible. Like if we'd done tiers last year, there's no way either one of us would have put TCU above a tier three team. You know, there's no guarantee it just because we think or anyone else thinks you know, a tier three team should be happy to win eight games, you know, at least make a bowl game. Um, you know, the sky can't in the new age transfer portal, transfer portal, um, you know, the way team building has shifted. You can absolutely, you don't need to, you know, it used to be the dynamic was you kind of, you get your recruits, you have a good recruiting class you know, for the teams that aren't like your perennial powerhouse. And you see your uh, young team mature, and then you kind of have peak years where you plateau and you're like, yes, this is the team for two or three years. We're going to contend for conference titles. And then maybe there's a little bit of regression and then you kind of build in your um, you know, next wave of younger players. Then you peak again to try to contend for a conference title. I don't think that dynamic exists anymore with the, uh, at least certainly not for everyone. You know, there are other paths now to build contending teams. And so, you know, it's Iowa State, what if they have with offensive staffing changes, now they suddenly have a dynamic offense and then they pair that with the top 10 defense and we're like, well, well why didn't we see that coming? And uh, they contend for the title. You know, um, Houston, in, instead of nitpicking at their close losses last year and thinking, yeah, I don't know if they'll win the close games against the really good teams. Maybe we should be reading that as, well, gosh, they took Tulane to overtime. They hung with both Big 12 teams they played for most or all of the game. You know, what's us to say they're not going to just continue to improve and, you know, storm into the conference and win a bunch of games. So, I, you know, for our listeners who heard us uh, put their team in one of those bottom categories, I think both of us had eight of the 14 as a tier three or tier four team. Um, that is not necessarily an indication that a conference title run is not it play at all. So an encouragement for those, you know, lower the the depth of the big 12 means that none of the teams are that far away from being at the top of the league. I think that's the unique thing about the big 12. And we saw that last year, you know, TC was not that far away from being a top Big 12 team coming into the season. And then they put it together, and sure enough, they they were there playing for the conference title. Kansas State, you know, we thought they were a sleeper last year, and they just needed to put a couple things together, and they could 
contend for the conference and they went off and won it. So, you know, they're, it's going to be the same thing this year. There are a lot of teams that are not far from putting it together and going and winning the conference. I would like to remind everybody that we had Kansas State as uh, number three in our preseason rankings. Yes, that doesn't mean much because we didn't predict them first or second. I should have been so bold. I was not. Look, again, Kansas State was picked fifth, TCU seventh in last year's preseason rankings. Baylor, I believe, was eighth ahead of the 2021 season. I think OSU was yep. third or I think third. Uh, no, the teams picked second or third typically are not the ones who make it there. It's teams four, five, six, seven. And so that's a big 12. Like we could, based off history, TCU and Kansas State should see a drop off. So it's going to be interesting. This is January. So I wouldn't even take all this with a grain of salt. I would listen to it for fun and be like, hey, we'll be back here again after spring ball in early May and do the same thing once we have more information and we'll do it again over the summer and we'll do it again at the start of the season and we'll kind of look at things and we'll still be wrong. And that's fine. I'm okay being wrong. We all are oftentimes, except for one random guy on Twitter who just knew all along that so-and-so would make the big Twelve title game. <laughs> I, I There's tell always you, one. But we, we should be excited for next year. And, the greatest and it is, season of all time in college football with a, we should be excited that the big 12 finally gets the benefit of being a larger conference that literally every other large conference has had for like a decade um, where your top teams do not play the other top teams in conference as frequently because there are more teams in conference to play and therefore they have better records. And because people can't get past records, the top teams will stand out more next year than they have in the past five to 10 years of 10 team conference play. So that is what we can all be excited. Whoever it is who rises to the top of the conference, they will have less cumulative losses, the top teams amongst them, because they will have played each other less often late into the season. And so it, they will have higher rankings. It will add to the prestige of the games being played and will be an overall absolute benefit to the Big 12 Conference. John, eight is better than six, okay? It just is. If you have eight wins, they have six. You are immediately better than the other team. Doesn't Nothing else Nothing else matters than win total. Uh, John, you have been awesome as always. It was a lot of fun. That's the whole point of this conversation is to have fun. Uh, we'll have John on more this college football season. I, I, can, I can promise that. We enjoy having John on. We're going to get you on here more. I appreciate the analysis that you provide. Do me a favor, our Lockheed Stats guy, where can everybody uh, check out your work? We are over on Twitter at CFP Resume Ranks. It would be rankings, but Twitter has a character limit, so it's CFP Resume Ranks. You won't see a lot of us in the offseason. I still have a final 2022 ranking to come out at some point. Um, Spoiler alert, TC will still be number two, despite... Uh, several of the AP pullers thinking that they sucked after making the national title game. Um, that won't be us, but uh, in the off season, we'll be spending our time with our heads in the sand, you know, adjusting our models, our data. Uh, this last year, we had our first year uh, modeling against the spread and uh, our, our good friend, 
uh, Andrew Percival uh, in his project to track spread rankings. Um, at one point after the season, after I had shared a bunch of data with him, told me that, that I was close to dead last in straight up picks, but I was absolutely first and against the spread picks. So we'll see how that transpires or progresses into next season. We've got a lot of things in the fold. Um, you know, as far as data posted, you'll you'll see us really popping up in force again a few weeks before uh, the 2023 season starts. Podcast Network.